Luke chapter 23 tells us, as the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if the people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to, the, to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Can you imagine this? Can you fathom or understand this? After the, the horrible whipping, the, the horrendous pain, the, the torture, the, the ridicule, not just from the soldiers, but from the people and even those two criminals with them. After enduring that, and, and what, what was the first thing that he said? Father, forgive them. There is a part of every one of us that, that just, we, we cannot understand this reaction. Because if just a person cuts you off on the road, you get angry. You get upset. You, you, you want to get back and get even. That's nothing compared to, to this. How would we feel if we were arrested, we were tortured, we were sentenced to death for something we never did? You, you think of things like uh, what, what Martin Luther King Jr. endured and then just as he endured if any little bit of that happened to us, we would want to get even, soothe them, get revenge. But Jesus? He doesn't. The first thing he says are words of grace. And here you see where his heart is. His heart is filled with love, not vengeance. His heart is filled with love for the world, for, for all of us. Love is, is why he came here. Love is, is why he came here to die. That love amazing. The Gospel of Luke continues. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, 
since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Can you imagine how that criminal felt when Jesus said these words? I think we can actually imagine what that felt like. Because this criminal is us. His life was a life of crime. Our life is a life of sin. We've been selfish. We've been hateful. We've been envious. We've been preoccupied. We've been caught in sin. We've looked down on others because the way they dress, the music they like, and the job they have. This criminal on the cross, this is us. He knew he was getting what he deserved, and we know what we deserve. We deserve what, what he was getting for each and every one of our sin. That, that should have been us. But then Jesus says this amazing thing. Today, you will be with me in paradise. What relief that must have brought, because that would be that day that it wouldn't be days that he'd be hanging on that cross, which was common. That pain would be cut short, but that's not what brought relief. What brought that truly relief is that he'd be in heaven. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us, today we'll be with him in paradise, but he does say, one day we will be with him in paradise. One day, all things will be made new. One day, we'll be out of this world filled with a pandemic and, and sin and, and cancer and disease. And one day, he will take us to be at his side in heaven. And then that one day will be another day. And another day, and that would turn into years, and years would become thousands of years and ten thousands of years. Yeah. I think we can understand how this criminal felt. The Gospel of John tells us near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, Here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Some of us understand how roles can reverse when it comes to parents. Where once moms or dads were the ones taking care of us, now we can be the ones taking care of them. Maybe it's because of some ailment or dementia or something like that, but it means uh, 
checking up on them every day or making sure they take their medicine every day, if they're in a nursing home, maybe going to visit them, feeding them at meals or taking them to doctor's appointments. That's kind of what happened to Jesus here, except it wasn't because Mary's health was failing, it was because he would not be around anymore. This, again, it just shows us where, where Jesus' heart is. As he is enduring all this pain and suffering, the pain for, for the sins of the world, an unimaginable type of pain, where is his focus? On someone else. In the midst of all this pain, he, he shows his love, his care, his concern for his mom and make sure that John takes care of her. What love. Matthew chapter 27 says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lamech sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, he, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Did you know Jesus was quoting a psalm here? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me is in Psalm 22. So why would God, the Father, forsake, turn his back on his one and only Son? It's because God, the Father, could not stand to look at Jesus. When he saw Jesus, he didn't see the perfect, holy Son of God. He saw the most repugnant, repulsive thing God could ever see. He saw sin. Not just a little sin the sin of all people, of all time. The, the, the worst stench, the, the worst thing that you can imagine, that the worst landfill smell, the, the most horrible thing isn't anything compared to this. God, God could not stand to look at it. He had to turn away. Let's put this into perspective. Let's just say, you are a really good person. And you only sin one time a minute. That's 60 times an hour, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, average lifespan of about 80 years, and that is over 42 million sins. 
multiply that by about the 7 billion people alive today, and that's 2.9 times 10 to the 17th power. And that's just the people alive today. Multiply that since of all the people that have lived for the thousands of years since Adam and Eve. So when, when I say that Jesus had the weight of all sin upon us, you can understand why God the Father would turn away that. Sin so ugly, sin such as, as hate and, and jealousy and murder, adultery, lust, abuse, failing to gladly hear God's word, failure to worship him, failure to, to share your faith, uh, um, making homework more important than, than learning from God, making sports more important than worshiping him. Every sin imaginable, they were all there on Jesus. And so when God the Father saw that, he had to turn away in repulsion. The result of just one sin is death. Here Jesus died not just for one, but for sins of all people of all time. Jesus was forsaken by God. That is how our salvation was accomplished. John chapter 19 says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Jesus' lips were parched. As he hung from the cross, the, the king of kings, the, the one who created this world, who created water out of nothing, was parched for just a few drops of water. Thirsty doesn't really even cover it. As his body was reeling from the torture, the pain, the, the blood loss, the, the effects of all that, he was thirsty. But that's not why he actually said this. God had promised the Savior, and, and years, as years went by, he, he gave little details and prophecies. And one of them was that the Savior would be thirsty. And so Jesus says this to, per, to fulfill what was prophesied in Psalm 69. He knew the time was right. So the soldiers dipped a, a sponge in some vinegar, some wine vinegar, put, put on a stalk and lifted up to Jesus and and it was not that cool, refreshing water when, when you're so thirsty. It was warm, biting vinegar. For Christ, the time was near. John 19 says, When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. 
Daddy bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. Nothing is more powerful than those three words. It is finished. There's nothing more that needs to be done. There were no more sins that had to be paid for. There still was no more punishment still coming. It was done. There was no more to endure. It was finished. He had paid for every sin of every age that has been and that will be. It is finished. With those three words, Jesus proclaimed a most glorious truth. Our salvation, our forgiveness, our place in heaven was secure. It was accomplished. There's nothing left to do except finally die. Our salvation was finished. Luke 23. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Jesus breathed his last. He died. Even though the, the physical pain, the, the torture, the, the trauma done to his body brought on the death, that's not why he died. This was his choice. He allowed them to, to arrest him the night before. He allowed them to, to hit him and spit on him. He allowed them to torture them. He allowed them to, to whip the Son of God. He allowed them to pound those nails into his hands. His life was not taken from him he wanted to give it. He chose to give his life as a ransom for us all. He chose to give his life to pay for our sins. There again, 
you see his heart. Heart filled with love for you. Everything was done. It was over. Jesus was dead. It was preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone across against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. 